Hey, it's such a joy to be with you today. My name is Jacinta and I'm one of the pastors here at HTBB. And today we continue our sermon series on hope for the city. Last week, Abel spoke about how God wants to give us a new hope for the home. And today we're shifting gears and looking at how God wants to give us hope for our community. Have you ever wondered what makes a community what it is? What forms those bonds of connection? It could be the fact that you live in the same condo or neighborhood. It could be that you're in the same life stage or that you have a shared experience and love for the same things. I came across this blog post about what makes the Malaysian experience what it is. Here's a few of them. The Milo truck at sports day. Our mama and kopitiam culture. Our night markets or what we call pasar malam. The sheer number of public holidays we start the year with and this doesn't even include the bonus holidays we get when we have an election or win a sports tournament. And this one I sometimes still feel raw about. But we fight over what the best laksa is. You know, it could be Penang laksa or KL curry laksa or Sarawak laksa, though we all know who the real winner is, <clears throat> Sarawak laksa. But then when we find out that number one in the world's 50 best cities for street food is Singapore, and Malaysia didn't even make it into the list, national uproar. If you're like me, maybe it's easy to look at our circumstances and despair at the state of our education, our economy, or our government. Or maybe you're watching this from a different location, and perhaps you feel the same about the city you live in. As we go through this sermon series, I believe that God wants to rekindle again in us a love and a hope for our families, our community, our city, and our nation. What would it look like if we all played our part? Not to pull back from, but to push into what God is doing in KL. Not to withdraw from, but to build up our communities. It's easy to look across our national borders and see that the grass and exchange rate is greener on the other side. But it's been said that if the grass looks greener on the other side, it's probably astroturf. In fact, the reality is that the grass is greener where you water it. And so today, we're looking at how to water the grass in our community. Our passage is found in Acts chapter 18. The Apostle Paul is on one of his missionary journeys through ancient Rome. He's preaching and teaching and establishing churches. And he has just made his way from the city of Athens, a city known for its intellectual capacity, to the city of Corinth, a city known for its sexual promiscuity. So let's read the passage together. I'll read for us and you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. Verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest, and he said to them, Your blood be on your own hand, heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and he went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. 
Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Amen. Now I wonder who here has ever had to extend forgiveness to someone? And on the flip side, who here watching this has ever had to receive forgiveness from someone? You see, the thing about living in community is we can't run away from the three key phrases we spoke about a few months ago. Thank you, sorry, and please. Mother Teresa once said, if we really want to love, we must learn how to forgive. Fred Rogers, the children's TV host, he said, forgiveness is a strange thing. It can be easier to forgive our enemies and hardest of all to forgive the people we love most. And I love what Oscar Wilde had to say. Always forgive your enemies. Nothing annoys them so much. Recently, I found myself in a situation where I needed to ask for forgiveness. My husband, Abel and I, we have one car between the two of us. So every now and then, if we need an extra car, we might ask my father-in-law if we can borrow his. My parents-in-law live just about a five-minute drive from us. And so on a particularly busy weekend, Abel was at an event and I had to run some errands and I was in my father-in-law's car with Levi, our three-year-old son, in his car seat at the back. It was 6 p.m., the time of day when everything that can go wrong does go wrong. And I was frazzled. But I needed to get some things from the shops near our house. And so I drove there, I find a parking space, and then I reverse park into the spot. And just as I'm reversing, I'm faced with a symphony of sounds. On one hand, I have Levi calling my name every two seconds, Mama, 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 Mama. And on the other hand, the reverse signal is beeping, beep, 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 both of which seem to get progressively louder and more urgent until at some point, the car crashes into a road divider I somehow hadn't seen. Everything becomes quiet and I'm feeling so annoyed at myself. And then I look up and out of my window, and who do I see? But my father-in-law, who by the way, had just witnessed his car crash into a divider. I was so embarrassed. If I could dig a hole and hide my face in it, I would have done it. I needed to say sorry that day, and he was very gracious. But let's just say I haven't driven his car since. Living in community is not easy, whether under the same roof with family or in proximity with close friends. It's almost as if the closer we are to someone, the harder it is to remain in right relationship with them. And so rather than repair and restore a relationship, it's almost easier to retreat and remove them from our lives. Maybe you've tried to restore a friendship, but it wasn't reciprocated. Or maybe for whatever reason, you've run away from the community you once had. I think God wants you to know He's designed you to live in community. He created you for community, but He's also created a community for you. It's called the church. And through our church community here in HTBB, our hope is that you will know God's love for you, that you will find belonging and connection and friendship. And not only that, but that your children will grow and have strong friendships here too. But if you've been in a church, any church, for all but two minutes, you'll find that none of us are perfect. We're all on this journey of following Jesus, of exploring what that looks like. 
And it's into the messiness of our imperfect relationships that God wants to bring hope again. A hope that says, yes, I can restore an important relationship in my life. I can speak the truth in love and not lose my friendships. I can find true and faithful friends in this community. How can we begin to have hope for our community? Today, I want to talk about four things. Firstly, we were created for community. You've probably heard the phrase, no man is an island. It was taken from a poem written by English poet John Donne. And I love what another John, John Wesley, says, there's no holiness except social holiness. Basically, John Wesley was saying that true holiness can only happen not when we have a special status or when we're simply set apart or secluded from society, but when we're set in the context of serving and seeking Jesus with others. God created the church not to be a holy huddle, but to bring heaven wherever we call home, to provide an oasis in an ocean of islands, to be both holy and proximate. You see, in verses 2-3 to three of our passage today, we read this. There, Paul met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Now Priscilla and Aquila became some of Paul's closest friends. Their names are mentioned six times in the New Testament. And together for a season in Paul's ministry, Paul, Priscilla and Aquila formed this trio. They lived together, they made tents, they led the church together. They became so close that later on in Romans 16 verses 3 to 4, Paul says they're his co-workers in Christ Jesus and they risked their lives for him. You know, Paul was not married, but he found a solid community in his partnership with Priscilla and Aquila. His life was an example of how those who are single in our community have just as much to offer as those who are married. Jesus too was single. So it's not a surprise that later on in scripture, Paul wrote that the single life is as much a gift from God as is the married life. And maybe you're listening to this and you long for the community found in marriage. Or on the other hand, maybe you're married and in a stage of life where you're not able to invest in community outside of your family in a way that you once used to. I want to encourage you, start where you are. Invest where you can. Begin with the small things. Send a text message to a friend. Check in with someone you've lost contact with. Put down your phones at the dinner table because God created us for community. I found out recently that the island of Sardinia in Italy is one of the world's blue zones. A blue zone is where people live to the age of 100 more than anywhere else in the world. And Susan Pinker, a researcher, she was determined to find out why. What's the reason behind their long life? Is it the olive oil? Is it the sunny climate, their local diet, or just good old genetics? Well, what Susan found boggled her mind. She found that Sardinians just have a much higher quality of close personal relationships and face-to-face -face interactions. You know, simply put, their connection with others helped them live longer lives. Another study shows that MRI scans show greater tissue repair in people with social lives, suggesting that they recover faster after an illness than those who live solitary lives. 
And when in the 1990s, 17,000 utility workers in France were monitored, researchers discovered that a degree of social involvement was a good way to predict who would still be alive at the end of the decade. So what we do here on a Sunday, what we do midweek in small groups and on Alpha, whether on-site or online, you know, gathering in community, building connections, investing in relationships, laughing with one another, it all makes a difference in our spiritual lives. But it also has a direct impact on your physical health and mental well-being. The good news is 75% of our community here at HTBB feel positively connected with others in the church. But that means 25% are still looking for community. And if that's you, please do reach out. We'd love to help you get connected. And for the rest of us, if on some Sundays or in the middle of the week, you don't feel like gathering with others, my encouragement to you is, if you are able to, do it anyway. It's good for your health. And in the long run, it will help you live a long life. So we are created for community. But secondly, we were created to create community. As we continue in our passage, it says in verses 4 to 5, that every Sabbath, Paul reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And in verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So while Paul spent his time preaching, teaching, and persuading, he wasn't just doing that. But in that process, he was also creating community. Did you know that throughout his ministry, Paul traveled over 10,000 miles and established at least 14 churches? And out of these 14 churches began a movement, a network of church plants all across Rome and Asia Minor that would spread so widely that the Roman Empire would eventually embrace Christianity. And while Paul planted churches extensively, he also planted himself locally. This passage says he stayed in Corinth for 18 months. And while he was there, he was rooted. He was in the synagogue every week. And through this one man's obedience in loving the people in his local community, a movement with global significance began. And some of you here may be wondering if what you're doing will have any impact at all. Maybe it all feels too insignificant or unseen or mundane. But just as Paul chose to share the good news of Jesus with both Jews and Greeks alike, you can choose to invest in your community. In fact, the community Paul was working with wasn't always very receptive. In verse 6, it says, They opposed Paul and became abusive. And so in verse 7, it says, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Was Paul discouraged by his circumstances? Maybe. He could have said to himself, These guys don't want to accept me, and then he could wallow in self-pity. Our investments in community don't, even, don't often have immediate payoffs. But what did Paul do instead? He did ministry anyway, and he went next door to the house of Titus Justus. And guess what? It tells us in verse 8 that Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. In fact, in verse 8, it continues, many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. You see, Paul didn't wait for community to come to him. He chose to create community in whatever context he found himself in. 
And he did it not just in the synagogue, but outside of it too. In the same way, we get to do the same. We get to create communities, build connections, look out for the lonely, say the first hello, host a meal, all of this here in church on Sundays, but also in our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplace, and among our friends. Chris, a friend of mine, told me the other day that he has a colleague whom he's worked with for years. They became friends, they began to do life together, and Chris would share about all that he was learning in church and in SPTC with this friend of his, but he would never impose his views on him. And it was only recently this friend began searching for God, and now, not only is this friend inviting Chris to go for lunch to speak about faith, he gathered other colleagues as well. It's almost as if he's running an alpha without even realizing it. And so in the past few weeks, Chris has found himself in lunch conversations in his work clothes with his colleagues discussing questions on life and faith and meaning. Chris is bringing the light of Christ into these lunch meetings in his workplace. And the more I chat with and get to know so many of you in our community, I'm always blown away by how you're already doing that with the people you work with and the organizations that you lead. While we gather together on Sundays, we get to scatter throughout the city from Monday to Saturday. And all of us get to bring the love of Jesus to our little pockets of community. Who can you reach out to today? Because we were created for community, we were created to create community. And because when we do gather, we don't just sit around and hold hands and sing kubaya. The third thing about community is that we are called in the context of community. It's been said that community is about doing something together that makes belonging matter. Whether you work in an office or teach in a school or treat patients or run a restaurant or serve in our food bank team or raise children at home, we get to live out our callings in the context of our community. You are not alone. We are in this together. Paul was a tent maker, and so were Priscilla and Aquila. And you might be wondering, how is this a viable occupation? Were tents that popular back then? And did Paul literally sew tents? Well, I think what's key about tent makers is not so much what they made, but the material they worked with, which was leather. So not only did Paul make tents, he probably made canopies and bags and sandals. This is how he supported himself in a context where the church was very young in their faith and he knew that people couldn't support him. In fact, he was actually being quite countercultural because leaders from other religions were selling snake oil and they were taking a collection from the people that they worked with. So by doing this, Paul was saying, I'm here not to take from you, but to serve you. But Paul was clear about his calling. His aim was to tell people about Jesus and this side hustle was only meant to support him. But when the work grew, and when Silas and Timothy came to help him, this passage tells us he dedicated himself exclusively to preaching and teaching. In other words, though the nature of his craft may have changed, or the city and context he was in differed, his calling always remained the same. What do you think God is calling you to? Frederick Buchner says, The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And over and over in Scripture, we see that just as God calls individuals, He calls the whole community as well. 
When Noah was called by God to build an ark, his whole family was saved. When Abram was called to leave his country, a whole nation was born. And when Jonah was called to Nineveh, his disobedience impacted those on the boat on which he tried to escape. And then when Jonah finally went to Nineveh, his obedience saved an entire city. Your calling impacts your community. But it works the other way too. Your community spurs on your calling. Have you ever noticed that you last longer in a workout when you're at the gym? Or when you play a sport in the presence of an athlete, you somehow tend to perform better. Researchers studied high performers in a large tech company, and they found that these high performers tended to help boost performance by up to 15%, not in themselves, but in the workers around them, simply because their desks were close to theirs. Whether we like it or not, we are connected to the people around us. It's kind of like this pyramid of cups. It's like what you see in a Chinese wedding dinner, but on a budget. Our relationships with others means we're interconnected. Now, just to say that at some point, all illustrations and analogies break down. First of all, life is not a pyramid scheme, and the people in your life are not below you, but around you. But having said those disclaimers, say I'm this cup. And this water represents everything that God has given us to enable us to live out our calling. You know, our gifts, our skills, our resources, our ability to make choices. Scripture tells us that God made us in His image. And in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, each person should live as a believer just as God has called them. And so we know God has a calling on everyone's lives, on every one of these cups. But say this person here, the top cup, doesn't actually believe that he's called, and so he holds back from living out his calling. This would affect the people closest to him. They would miss out on living in the blessing that comes from his overflowing, flourishing life. Now, that doesn't stop God from pouring into others. For example, this cup here. But say each person here in this pyramid is completely open to what God is calling them to. They're living out their calling. They're using their resources to bless others. Their lives are overflowing because of their obedience to what God has called them to. Do you see how God has filled up each cup individually? But see also how God has filled them up as a community. You see, when we all play our part in living out our calling, our community only gets better. Your calling impacts your community, but your community also spurs on your calling. Paul didn't find it easy in Corinth. The passage says they opposed Paul and even became abusive. So why does it say in verse 11 that he continued staying there for a year and a half? I think it's because of what God said to him in the two verses before that. In verse 9, it says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. God has many people in this city. And I think this knowledge that God is with him, that God was protect him, protecting him, and that Paul had a community around him is spurred on his calling to keep going. I wonder if you need to hear that today, that God is with you, that He's placed a community around you 
that you are not alone. He's with you in that difficult meeting. He's with you in your kitchen. He's with you in your car. He's with you when you're lonely. And he says, don't worry. I've got others in the city who will back you up. We were created for community. We were created to create community. We are called in the context of community. And finally, changed communities change cities. I find it interesting that Paul spent so much time in Corinth. For an intellectual like Paul, Athens seemed right up his alley. But Corinth, Corinth had a reputation for immorality and loose living. You know, back then the phrase to act like a Corinthian, it meant to be sexually immoral. And a Corinthian companion meant a prostitute. But despite his reputation, Corinth was a gateway and a major east-west trading center. And so by planting a church in Corinth, Paul knew that a strong church here could touch people all across the Roman Empire. I wonder what, what it would look like if the transformation in our community here in HTBB was so strong, so palpable, that it sparked something right across KL. Our city, as beautiful as it is, is in need of a move of the Holy Spirit. We are the city with the highest level of crime in Southeast Asia. We remain on the U.S. State Department's watch list for human trafficking, and there continues to be a limit to religious freedom in our nation. But nothing is impossible for the Lord. When we look around us, it may be easy to despair. But what if God's calling us as a community to dream of the impossible? I love this story that my grandfather used to tell us as children. I'm from Sarawak, from the Lunbang tribe that lives in the Barrio Baklalan Highlands. And in the 1970s, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place and the community experienced miracles and all sorts of transformation that have lasted until this day. But 40 years prior to this, in the 1930s, in a previous generation, the Lunbang people were headhunters and not the recruiting kind. They lived terrible lives. They were drunk two-thirds of the year. They never cleaned their homes, and so they were falling sick all the time. And even the government at the time wrote them off, and they said this tribe would eventually go extinct. And though they lived in an unreachable, remote village in Borneo, God didn't forget them. He sent four Bible college graduates from Melbourne Bible College, and these brave souls began to share the love of Jesus with this community. They taught them how to read and to write, and eventually the whole village turned to Christ. One generation later, because of the work that they began, what started as a faithless, churchless, forgotten tribe became a movement of churches, the SIB group of churches, all across the state. Here's a map of all the churches that had started because of the courage and obedience of these four naive, fresh-faced Bible college graduates who decided to follow the call of God to an unknown land. This changed community, changed the face of Sarawak. Do you have any dreams for your community, for KL? My dream is that God would pour out His Spirit in a new way that would spark transformation all across the nation. Because as much as we need our community, we desperately need Him. And so would you allow God to birth in you a dream for your community? And as we do that, we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in KL as it is in heaven. Amen. 
we are going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. And so wherever you're watching from, you might want to just put out your hands like this, just signals and openness to the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to pray for us now. Come Holy Spirit, would you speak to us now? Maybe there's someone listening and you feel a shift in your calling and you feel like God is calling you somewhere else. I think God wants to encourage you to um, continue to seek counsel from the people around him, uh, for, from the people around you. Um, and um, as he opens doors, he will lead you to where he calls you to. I think for others of us, um, it's becoming clear that God is wanting us to stay rooted where we are. And I think God will want to confirm that and encourage you and, and affirm you to continue staying on where you are. I think there might be someone here and actually you felt a call to full-time ministry uh, within a church setting. Um, I think uh, God just wants to encourage you to maybe to explore that a little bit further. And there might be someone here and you're working in a social action space and you're feeling really discouraged. And I think God just wants to breathe new life and hope into you. If you resonate with any of that, our team would love to be able to pray with you. You can just uh, scan the QR code and someone in the team will get in touch with you. And uh, as we finish now with this time of worship, would you continue to uh, invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you now?